Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick, and it's Monday, the day of the week we read some messages from the mailbag. Uh, we got some some Halloween-related email, but also some cleanup on some older episodes today, so it'll be a nice assortment. All right, let's jump in. What have we got? Let's get some Halloween-y stuff out here. Okay, well, first of all, yeah, the, this one does concern some Halloween episodes, so... You remember in the episodes we did on Elf Shot, uh, there was one remedy for a cattle that had been wounded with a fairy dart or an elf arrow, and it involved having a wise woman force feed something called fairy crabs to a cow. We had no idea what fairy crabs were. Uh, there is a thing called a fairy crab, but th- that can't be what the text is talking about because it's on the other side of the world and the name comes from much later. So we were just at a loss. We didn't know what these what this was referring to. But uh, listener Leanne writes in with some thoughts. Leanne says, I have a hypothesis about fairy crabs. There is a species of small crustacean, uh, Chirocephalus diaphanous, found in the UK in vernal pools known as the fairy shrimp for their ability to enter diapause when the pools dry up and seemingly magically reappear much later. Uh, Diapause refers to like a dormancy state in the development of an organism. 
Leanne goes on, I don't know if people would have used the words crab and shrimp interchangeably, but I'd say it's possible. And so, Rob, I attached a couple of pictures I found of uh, Chirocephalus diaphanus. It is a uh, a rather magical looking little critter. And yeah, you you can imagine that uh, you might attribute fairy-like powers to these if you see that there is a tide pool or uh, some kind of body of water full of these animals. And then they just seem to disappear. Like, what happened to them? I don't know. And then they reemerge later. Well, maybe they're some of the fairy folk. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like something you might put in a magical potion. It also does make me wonder if there is anything in the bodies of these little creatures that would have any kind of a marked effect on, say, a human if they were to consume them, like something that stood out, even if it wasn't uh, something that really had a medicinal property to it. Yeah, totally. So I, I would say interesting guess, Leanne. But Leanne has another idea. She writes, Another possibility lies in an organism found in the pools alongside the fairy shrimp, Triops cancriformis, also called tadpole shrimps, and a bunch of other things. My sister had these, sold as sea monkeys, when we were growing up. I couldn't find any reference to them being called fairy crabs online, but they look much more crab-like. I wonder if they may have been known as fairy crabs at some point, given their similarities to the fairy shrimp, their shared habitat, and their crab-like appearance. And uh, Rob, I also found some pictures of Triops cancriformis for you to look at here. They are certainly more more crabby. They have a more uh, a crawling kind of anatomy. They look, in a way, kind of like trilobites. Yeah, yeah. These are these are interesting critters. They have a sort of a piece of armor on the back, like a big uh, dorsal plate, and then the the skittering legs underneath, and then a tail, eyes up on top, various uh, whiskers and doodads pointing out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this looks like a fairy crab to me, but once again, uh, I I don't know of any literature from the time period in that place making the link, but uh, totally decent guess. Hmm. You know, this makes me wonder too if we should do an episode on sea monkeys at some point. Ooh. So there are a number of things to talk about with sea monkeys, and they certainly have a, a cultural footprint, um, including the 1992 TV series, uh, The Amazing Live Sea Monkeys, in which Howie Mandel plays a sea monkey. Oh, boy. Has there ever been a killer sea monkeys horror movie? <laughs> uh, ooh, not that I know of. That's an idea. But this the, the the creature effects in the amazing live sea monkeys. I remember as a child being slightly horrific. So maybe this counts. Looking it up right now. Oh 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 no <laughs> no no no. Oh, it's Mac and me. Yeah, it has that kind of look to it. Yeah, they're uh, they're, they're weird. This is a, this is a this is some frightening makeup. Yeah. So look it up for yourselves, everybody. If you look up uh, Howie Mandel sea monkey. You'll see this, and uh, perhaps you like like me. You have some uh, conflicted memories of having caught this on like late Saturday mornings as a child. Imagine a cross between the Coneheads and Mac and Me, and the mm-hmm. Bullseye. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This next one comes to us from Ian. And this is a this is a from a, this has to do with a previous listener mail or this is a previous listener mail about allegations of inhuman numeracy. 
Dear Rob and Joe, I just finished your July 25th listener mail. I am quite far behind, obviously. And I had to write in uh, in response to the listener who said her cat could count up to at least seven when dragging scraps of cloth from the basement. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminded me of an incident with one of my cats, which strangely enough also involves a basement. My wife and I have three cats, and when I feed them, our oldest cat, Zorro, gets fed last, because otherwise he will rush to eat all of his food and then go steal the other's food before they have a chance to finish. I have him trained hmm, to where, though he will follow me to the bowls of the other two and watch me dish out the food, he won't actually try to eat it. He will wait for his own. I have always wondered <laughs> if he could actually count to three or if he just knew which location he gets fed at, and a severe storm earlier this year gave me an apparent answer. One day this spring, while I was preparing dinner and waiting for my wife to get home from work, the tornado sirens went off. Luckily, in this instance, no one was hurt and no major damage was done. So I turned off the stove and went to the basement. The cats, who normally like nothing better than to try to sneak into the basin every time I opened the door, wouldn't come anywhere near. As it was close to dinner time, I tried what anyone would. I got out their food and started dishing it out in the basement. Only Zorro came down. The other two stood at the top of the stairs, staring, but would not descend. And as always, he followed me to the first bowl and watched me fill it, then the second, and only started eating when I filled the third. This, despite the fact that there were no other cats present trying to eat the food. The bowls were in completely different locations from normal. I was giving all of them the same food, and I had picked up and put down the bowls in no particular order, so it's unlikely he was somehow identifying the bowl itself. For the life of me, I can't think of any other explanation than that he is able to count ordinal numbers up to at least third, though I am certainly open to having missed something. I do generally consider him to be by far the smartest of our three cats, so if any of them could do it, I would expect it to be him. As always, thank you for the wonderful and interesting show, Ian. That is an interesting story, though I... Uh, there could be another thing going on here, which is that Zoro could be reading cues off of you. It's possible mm-hmm. that, Ian, you do something with your body or your face or something to signal, now it is time, this one is yours. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's, a, in, in my own household, watching the, the cat and being watched by the cat around uh, mealtime for her, it uh, yeah, it leads for all sorts of theories. Like, okay, she how does she know that it is time? Is she just hungry at this time, or have I clued her into it by something I'm doing, uh, getting up and moving around? Uh, it's uh, it's always a puzzle with the cats, but 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 yeah, like we've discussed previously, they're 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 smart animals. They're smart as they need to be to do the things they do. And so when they're encountering puzzles like this, they may well be you know, solving them incredibly. They just might not be solving them along the same logical or mathematical lines that the human brain would solve the same problem and not dependent upon the same sense data either. Mm. But I also love this story too because it also it sounds like a setup to a horror story. Two uh-huh. of the cats knew not to go into the basement. Only Zorro, the selfish cat, <laughs> the hungry cat, would come down. And I like how the best you could do with training for Zorro is that, okay, he's not going to rush in and eat the other cat's food, but he will sit there and menace them while they eat and until he gets his. <laughs> okay, are you ready for, uh, oh, a very uh, spooky Halloween-themed message about uh, in response to incense? Ooh, let's do it. 
Okay, this one is from Joe, just J-O, no E in this one. Uh, Joe ha- writes an email with subject line, The Scent of the Supernatural, Not Fun. Oh, and fair warning, this email contains some uh, some rather grisly ghost lore, so so be warned. Dear Robert and Joe, In episode two of Incense, you mentioned that the scent of incense was linked to godly encounters. Since Halloween is rapidly approaching, I thought it might interest you to know that in Malaysia and Indonesia, the scent of jasmine and frangipani flowers at night is often linked to the presence of a ghost called the Pontianak in Malay or the Kuntilanak in Indonesia. The Pontianak is the ghost of a pregnant woman who eviscerates her victims with her long fingernails. She often appears in a white, blood-stained dress with long, dark hair. Some say she died at the hands of a violent man. Some say her baby was a stillborn child. Some say she died in childbirth. Whatever the reason, she lives in banana trees during the day, then comes out at night with vengeance on her mind. The only way to tame a Pontianic is to drive a nail into her nape or the top of her head, after which legend says she will become a beautiful woman and a good wife. (laughs) Other signs of the Pontianic include the soft wailing of a baby, light feminine laughter, or a bird calling out ki-ki-ki as it flies overhead. In essence, if you smell something floral at night in Southeast Asia, when there aren't any flowers in the vicinity, it is time to get the hell out of Dodge. Oh, this is fabulous. I wasn't aware of these uh, these scent associations with the Pontianak uh, and its Indonesian counterpart, but I had I had read about this, this creature before in one of my uh, many creature books here, and also it had come out, we're, we're always come up because we're always scouting films for Weird House Cinema. And this particular creature is the subject of numerous Malaysian and Indonesian horror films, like Mm. going all the way back to the 1950s, I think, and then on up to like recent films. So uh, I haven't I haven't actually gone beyond the research phase on this and watched one of these. So if anyone out there has experience with these movies and and would like to recommend one to me, uh, do so, because I'm always interested to to check out uh, something like this. Oh, yeah. Okay. uh, Joe goes on. Joe also has some notes about uh, our episodes on fun. She writes, digressing your episodes on the nature of fun made me realize that there isn't a term for fun as a noun in Mandarin. The -hmm. term used most commonly to refer to having fun, how one is translated as good play. So instead of did you have fun, we ask each other, did you play well? Instead, our words for fun all mean things like interesting, enjoyable, happiness, or joy. Similarly, the most common word for fun in Malay is shock or seronak, which both mean enjoyable. Essentially, our version of was it fun actually means was it enjoyable. I'll definitely keep an eye out for fun words as I learn other languages now. Hope you enjoyed these tidbits. Looking forward to more episodes. Live long and prosper. Joe without an E. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, I believe Joe has contacted us in the past with with uh, really good emails about Southeast Asian uh, myths and legends. So, uh, yeah, please keep it up. Love the emails. All right. This next one, um, this one concerns a number of different topics. Um, this is from Andrew. 
Andrew, oh, this one, this one has numbers in it. So uh, we're going to go through a, f- a few different things here. Andrew writes in and says, hello, fellas. I'm a w- few weeks behind on my podcast, so I'm a little behind the ball here. Thanks again for the entertainment. You all beam into my ear holes. I truly enjoy it. Number one, a thought came about during your discussion of interesting censors during the incense series. When I was a kid, a relative was stationed in Germany as a member of the United States Army. He would often send interesting gifts to family members around the holidays. One of these was called a smoker, which is apparently uh, common in southern Germany. These are basically wooden figurines stylized in a similar fashion to a nutcracker. Instead of a nightmarish unhinged jaw, there is a gaping round mouth with a tunnel extending through the torso. The top half of the figurine would be removed to reveal a platform where a conical lump of incense would be placed and lit before putting the top back on. The smoke would travel up and the figure would appear to be smoking. See attached, includes an image of this. Mine was a boat captain in a rain slicker holding a tiny metal pipe. I thought this thing was absolutely the coolest, but we had a cat who was fond of knocking it to the ground. Some cats just want to watch the world burn. You know how it is. So you had a you had a a sensor that was basically the killer from I know what you did last summer. <laughs> I think it doesn't look quite like that. It looks more gnomish. Oh no, I don't think the I don't think the gnome attached is the one in the rain slicker. I think oh, okay. I think Andrew's you're, talking about a different one there. You're imagining this as the uh, killer from that slasher movie. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. All right, number two. I was recently at a wedding where the videographer was utilizing a 35mm digital camera on a monopod equipped with a gimbal system. I was mesmerized throughout the ceremony and barely caught the vows. Fortunately, my wife was in the ceremony, so it's unlikely anyone actually caught me spacing out. <laughs> uh, I like this tidbit because for a second there, I thought the, the punchline was going to be that it was there. It was his own wedding. Uh, that he was <laughs> out at, but that's not the case. All right, number three. During a recent Weird House episode, you suggested, you discussed, rather, some poachers going after eagle eggs for an unexplained reason. <laughs> this would have been the um, uh, extraterrestrial visitors episode, yes, a.k.a. Uh, pod people. Yes, because there were poachers in there, What led by the guy who looks like a cross between Leslie Nielsen and Sam the Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like climbing up in trees, stealing eggs out of nests. Uh, so he continues, I was reminded of the 1990 Disney non-musical film, The Rescuers Down Under. Way better than its predecessor, Don't At Me. The villain in the movie, voiced by none other than George C. Scott, is after the eggs of a giant golden eagle. His motivations are somewhat ambiguous in this movie as well. I suppose he can sell them. Moral of the story is poachers gonna poach. I watched that movie when I was a little kid. I remember it was it made me think Australia was really cool and I think it was also part of a uh I don't know if there's a formal term for this sort of a period of a few years where there was just a lot of Australia related cinema in the United States. Yeah, like like mainstream uh exploitation cinema. <laughs> yeah, this was the era of Crocodile Dundee and so forth. I remember this uh, film as well. Um, I think I saw it in the theater. And the other thing I remember besides George C. Scott being the villain is that I guess with both Rescuers movies, Bob Newhart is one of the mice. He's one of the, the main voices in it, yeah. which always stood out to me because we would always, the, the, as a family, we would always watch Bob Newhart shows or whichever one, whichever one it was where he had the inn and he, uh, he, he, uh, he ran an inn somewhere in New England. Yeah, with Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Yeah, yeah, that one. I remember about this movie that there was a, uh, I think the poacher had a pet 
I don't know how you actually say the name of this lizard. It's like Goanna or Goanna, and it was named Joanna. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah, I haven't seen it since then, but I remembered it as being fun. I, I kind of put it in the same mental filing cabinet as The Great Mouse Detective, which, uh, of course, had Vincent Price in it. Ooh, yeah. As Rattigan. All right, number four. Finally, I previously wrote in about Sammy Terry, and you used the story generator to create a tale of spooky savings. This genuinely had me breaking into hysterical laughter while driving home from work. Thank you for that. Now that we are fully into October, Sammy keeps popping up in my day-to-day. Maybe it's just a little Bader-Meinhof, see attached. And then we uh, get some some screenshots of, what is this, like Reddit and Instagram and stuff of Mm, uh, Sammy Terry popping up everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's irresistible. Many frights to you this October, Andrew. Uh, oh man, I I just remembered because of this email the the spooky savings story. Do you remember that we? I think mm-hmm. we ran a line from a Sammy Terry commercial through the AI story generator, and it wrote a story about how a bank was offering new special deals that that gave people really tremendous savings, but everyone who took the deals ended up stranded in hell. Oh goodness, yes, yes, this was a good one. Um, now, uh, two things I want to mention real quick about this, about the story generator. Uh, first of all, I'll share the, the link again for anyone interested. It's story-machines.net, and uh, it, it was released uh, as part of this, uh, this book that came out. I talked to the author in a previous episode of the show, um, uh, one of the authors, Mike Sharples. So it's a really great book. Uh, I still uh, really recommend it for anyone who wants a, a deeper understanding of what's going on with this technology. And, and hey, as we're getting into not only Halloween, but the holidays, that seems, seems like a good excuse for folks out there to generate some holiday and Halloween stories to send in to us that relate to topics we've discussed. But the other thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, you know, not naming names or anything here, but this was in the last few weeks was the first time I heard like a, and this is probably like a second, third or fourth hand account, but a tale coming home from my child's school about somebody using AI generated text on an assignment. So mm. uh, that was one of those moments where I'm like, oh man, I'm feeling future shock from this because this thing that is in a topic we discussed, it's already here. It's already uh, out there in the world that my, my child occupies, you know? I was reading something just the other day about students using using AI to generate uh, text for, for writing assignments. And on one hand, I thought, wait a minute, these things are still not that good yet. How could they really you like surely you would catch that but then the other half of me went you're forgetting how bad some student writing is <laughs> true yeah but the interesting thing about it too and this is something i talked about with with mike sharples is that that on one hand yes there's always this 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 tremendous potential to exploit this kind of technology but uh, part of his background is in education and he pointed out that, that this technology is also is also potentially great for teaching, instructing children on how to write. So mm. it's, it's not like it has no place in, uh, in schools. It's just like, how do you responsibly use the technology and, 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 and get students to use the technology responsibly? Yeah, I totally get that. And as somebody who has taught writing before, I think I can say I, I see benefits in having alternative approaches to teaching writing and some of those approaches being more formulaic or algorithmic, not always treating writing like some kind of magic that just emerges from your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. 
Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. 
And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, I'm going to do a message from Dimitri on our episodes on fun. Dimitri says, Hi, Joe and Rob. Thanks for a great and engaging podcast uh, you do every time. I'm a longtime listener. I have recently finished all three parts of the Nature of Fun episodes and have a lot of thoughts. First, as one with Russian as a mother tongue and living in Israel for years, I constantly use Russian, Hebrew, and English often interchangeably, sometimes complementary. My approach to translation is to feel the word by using it in some common sentences in different languages. So, in Russian, the word used similarly to noun usage of fun is udovolstvi, which is also pleasure, not a very close relative. In Hebrew, to say I did it for fun or it was fun, we use the word kif, which I don't even know how to translate directly. So my opinion here is that the perception of fun might be also language dependent. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we concluded that is true to a large extent in those episodes. Dimitri goes on, speakers of different languages can mean different things by the term fun itself, since it might differ from one language to another. Maybe that's a reason why it's hard to explore fun in psychology. The concept itself is ambiguous. Mm. Second, I wanted to talk about having fun in sports. I'm an amateur runner, and yes, runners love talking about running. Uh, amateur runner who runs for fun and competitively. For me, there are several very different funs in running. Let's say when I uh, run alone on the trails, the fun is being submerged in nature, its sounds, and changing view. Also, the feeling of the body working as a well-oiled machine is kind of fun. However, when I run with friends, it's totally different fun. The social aspect, the feeling of togetherness, the talking. And when I run with my son, he's 18, not a kid anymore, and he often accompanies me, it's a third kind of fun. It's like a bonding trip with a bit of competing and fooling around. Yet, I'm still the responsible adult. So, sport can be fun even in the process of doing it. Oh, and running on a treadmill is not fun. Too boring and repetitive. <laughs> Lastly, about swimming, I also swim laps. And Rob, I think this is responding to your comments about whether or not swimming is fun. Mm -hmm. um, Dimitri says, if you want to make it more fun, instead of just swimming laps, try varying the speeds. Full speed, 25 meters, followed by easy laps. Or add various technique exercises. It's less repetitive, so more fun, and improves swimming overall. Here I follow the advice of my son's swimming coaches. He swam competitively for many years. Sorry for the long message, Dimitri. Oh, Dimitri, no need to be sorry. Yeah, uh, these are some good points, especially the, the changing of the intensity. I'll have to try that. I don't think I've really tried that. I did have some good results, like mixing things up to where instead of saying, all right, I'm going to hit, I'm going to do X number of, uh, of laps to break it up into segments. Mm -hmm. So like now I break my laps up into segments of five and sometimes, sometimes my mind will just kind of wander, but other times I find it a good exercise to be like, okay, this is lap number one. 
and I definitely don't want to forget what number I'm on. So for this entire lap, I'm only going to think about the movie Alien. And then for lap number two, I'm only going to think about Aliens. For lap number three, going to Alien 3. Oh, no, but lap four, oh, no. There's, pl- there's plenty to think about with, uh, with, uh, with the fourth Alien movie. Oh. Um, but, it, you know, I can do it with various film franchises, um, various series. It's like mm-hmm. a kind of a good way to... Because for me, the big thing is you get up into the higher numbers, even if it's not that high, if you're only like on four or five, um, you can easily let your mind wander and forget which lap you were on. And I don't have an an abacus or anything or beads that I'm using to keep track of them. Uh, So if I have forgotten where I am, then the only logical solution is to say, okay, I think I'm on three, so I'll back it up one just to make sure. So now I'm on Mm. two. And even though, and then I'm kind of punishing myself for forgetting what lap I'm on. Uh, but I would rather not do that. I'd rather just <laughs> swim the number of laps I set out to swim. And sometimes a film franchise can help with that. It's a great way to assess one's fitness achievements. So you're like, today I finally made it all the way to the Hellraiser where evil goes online. Oh, I, I don't use the Hellraiser films. <laughs> uh, but um, but but I have done, fun, yeah, it, th- things that have at least five uh, uh, installments are pretty good for this. I think that one's like seven or eight, by the way. Yeah. And then I would, I would just get confused later on because I don't have a clean enough memory about the later Hellraiser movies. I'd be like, all right, one, two, three, four, and then the rest. (laughs) So. All right. Well, hey, speaking of uh, horror and uh, film franchises, the next one comes to us from Jim. I'm not sure which Jim out of the the league of Jim's out there, but Uh, Jim, I should say Jim specifies uh, Jim parentheses, not from New Jersey. Okay. All right. Non-New Jersey (laughs) Jim, Uh, but not the non-New Jersey Jim, because there's more than one Jim that's not from New Jersey. Anyway, this Jim says, hey, guys, I love the artifact episode about Freddy's Claw. It reminded me of the end of the movie Enter the Dragon, starring Bruce Lee. The head bad guy, Han, had a fake left hand that he could attach different weapons on. These include a bear or animal claw and one that had a couple of blades or steak knives in a row. Of course, Bruce wins in the end. The other interesting connection between these two movies is a man that acted in both, John Saxon. In Nightmare, he played a a police lieutenant who was father of one of the teenagers and at that time got top billing for the film. In Enter the Dragon, he played a buffed martial artist. Looking forward to Halloween fun this October, Jim, not from New Jersey. Oh, yeah. And when I f- first saw these two movies in uh, in college, I think they were the only two movies I knew John Saxon from. Uh, I saw them almost nearly back to back, I imagine, like freshman year, because uh, that year I was getting really into into horror. But I also had a big Bruce Lee phase. So, yeah, like 18 year old me had intense John Saxon awareness. Yeah, I mean, these are two big and iconic films that he had had roles in. And then, of course, his, his filmography is really, really deep on top of that. But uh, yeah, Enter the Dragon, some very memorable fight scenes with that bad guy with the different attachments that go in his hand. Uh, they, they ultimately don't uh, aid him too much. He's still defeated by Bruce Lee, as I think everybody is defeated by Bruce Lee in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but. I hadn't thought about that so much when I was uh, putting together that um, that artifact episode. I was like looking, thinking about Freddy's claw, and asking the question: What do we have in the real world of weaponry 
that matches up with it at all. And basically the, the, the bottom line is you don't have weapons like that because weapons like that would probably break your fingers if you tried to use them. Uh, they only work if you're a dream master, supernatural horror baddie, uh, you know, torpedoing your arm, your arm through people's torsos in a nightmare. So I'm unsure about this claw weapon in Enter the Dragon without, I'd have to review the footage to even guess at how believable this is. I guess it would, a lot of it would have to do with like how it's mounted and how it's supported. Is it supported more on the wrist? Is it supported at the stump? I mean, there's a lot Mm. of, there are a lot of ways that it would be a terrible idea, but there may be some ways that you could actually have it well supported on the wrist, I guess. I can shed no light on the uh, on the knife hand or the claw, but uh, one fact I do remember about John Saxon in uh, Enter the Dragon is I think in the original version of the script, his character was supposed to get killed with that claw, uh, but uh, Saxon didn't want his character to die, so he <laughs> said, I'll sign on if you rewrite it so that Jim Kelly's character gets killed instead of mine. And I was, oh man, that's a bummer. John Saxon should have died. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they ended up doing anything else with that character, did they? Was was that I, his thinking? Like, let's I let's do remember. the franchise. Oh, like he thought it? he would get his own kung fu series afterwards. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's that's an interesting detail. I'm going to have to ponder that one. I mean, it, as much as I love John Saxon, my memory is that he is by far the least cool of the three heroes of that movie. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you got to love Bruce and and Jim Kelly more, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, it does remind me a little bit of the details that we discussed regarding Cannibal Apocalypse, where he was like, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that scene where I eat human flesh, you know, yeah. where, let's skip that part. So I don't know, uh, maybe he had an aversion to, uh, to just the, the gore of it. It's like, I, I don't want that blood on me. John Saxon, did we catch you trying to protect your dignity while acting? Come on, it's not about you. You're playing a character. I'm sure he had his reasons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Are you ready to finish off with a couple of short messages about Weird House Cinema? Let's do it. All right. uh, This one comes from Pat. Pat says, Joe, Rob, I'm sure you get a lot of recommendations for Weird House. May I add mine? Watched again today, The Black Cat from 1934. First and best pairing of Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. The film is dense, impressionistic, satanic, mysterious. There's a torture scene, necrophilia, and much more. One of the earliest film scores. As an aside, many Lugosi detractors say he didn't get roles because of his thick accent. The accent works better for him in this film than in Dracula. Should you pass this by, I know I will get great entertainment weekly. Thanks ever so much, Pat. Uh, well, Pat, yeah, we, we'll definitely uh, consider that. We'll put it on the list and see what we think. Uh, this is a movie I have wanted to watch for a long time, and I've just never gotten around to until now. But one of my good friends, I remember years ago, was telling me, you've got to watch The Black Cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a film I also haven't seen, but I know it's it's been personally recommended to me. Uh, and I've, I've definitely talked to people who hold it up as a, a very fine horror film, especially of the, the genre of the, of the time period, but one that just just stands out genre wide as well. All right, this one comes to us from Tom. The subject is Phantasm, Death Metal. Hello, Robert and Joe. Thank you for the almost frame-by-frame analysis of the movie Phantasm. This film was foundational for my little eight-year-old brain. I'm glad you pointed out the heavy lifting that the music is doing to create that dreamlike atmosphere throughout the film. 
You know, I'm all for indulging the a child's natural love of monsters. I feel like Aid is a little young for Phantasm. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we 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 say that now, but uh, you know, the the '90s and '80s, uh, they were a different time. I don't know yeah. when I first saw clips of Phantasm. I don't think it was Eight, but at any rate. Um, Tom continues, knowing that Joe is something of a metal head, uh, I was hoping you'd bring up the Swedish death metal band Entombed and the titular song on their debut album, Left Hand Path. The outro dirge of that song is straight up Phantasm main theme with HM2 pedals turned all the way up. When I first heard that, it blew my then 18-year-old brain Thanks for the show. It has survived many pod purges and is one of my favorites, Tom. Oh, well, thanks for the note, Tom. Uh, I So, yeah, you're right. I, I do enjoy some some metal albums, though I don't really know any Scandinavian metal, so I don't know this band at all. But I did look up the song, and I got to the part where they played the Phantasm theme, and it, it was pretty wicked. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I'm not really familiar with them either, but uh, but I'll have to check out this track. So at any rate, we always enjoy musical recommendations uh, from our listeners, especially when they converge with the Weird Al Cinema topics. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and close this one out, but we'd love to hear from you. Keep the listener mails rolling in. Uh, you know where to send them. We'll, we'll throw out that email in just a second. But uh, just as a reminder, our listener mail episodes run every Monday. Core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesdays, you get a short form artifact or monster fact. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.